Welcome to the Gren Zone. Dissecting dermatology differently. Here is your host, Dr. Logan Kolb. Welcome back, everyone. Today's episode will be part two of three on hydradenitis superativa. But before we start, I want to mention some housekeeping stuff. First, we have some new music that was recorded specifically for the podcast, so I want to give a big shout out to Sonic Section with music composed by Shaylee Walsh and my brother Garrett Kolb. We will also have some new music from Thomas and the Shakes for episodes later in the season as well. Secondly, I was proud to see that we were mentioned in a recent JAD article on the current landscape of dermatology podcasts, where they characterized all the dermatology podcasts out there by various factors, including whether sources are cited, which I must admit I have not been good about. While I mentioned in our introductory podcast that I get our content from the major dermatology journals and textbooks, I promise to be better about citing specific sources for you moving forward, with one caveat. It will be too time-consuming to cite each original source for everything I say, as is supposed to be done when writing and publishing papers. But what I will do is cite the various review articles, such as the JAD CMEs, that guide a lot of what I put into the episodes. So with this, let's talk hydradenitis superativa. Today's episode will focus on pathogenesis, comorbidities, and treatment options alongside Dr. Grumpy Pants. And then in the next episode, we will be interviewing one of the experts on hydradenitis superativa, Dr. Jocelyn Kirby, and we're going to go over pearls for approaching the office visit with a new or established HS patient. But before we talk HS with Dr. G, I must mention our disclaimer that this episode is meant for educational and informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor does this episode represent the views of Orange Park Medical Center, Olmsted Medical Center, or their affiliates. Oh, it's you again. I have to say, although you students drive me up the wall, it is good to see you during these trying times, and I sincerely hope you and your loved ones have been safe. Unfortunately, we will now be diving into what I consider one of the most difficult dermatologic ailments. Do you know anything about the dreaded hydrodenitis superativa? Who gets it? And how you stage it clinically? Hydradenitis superativa, aka acne inversa, is a chronic inflammatory skin disorder that starts after puberty with painful papules, nodules, and draining abscess-like lesions, most commonly in the armpits, inframammary areas, and the groin. Without proper treatment, these lesions may eventually progress to sinus tracts and permanent disfiguring scarring. HS typically starts in patients' 20s to 30s and often goes undiagnosed for years. It is more likely to affect women, patients of African ancestry, and those with lower socioeconomic status. HS is a clinical diagnosis based on having the typical lesions that are recurrent in these intertriginous areas. Keep in mind, however, that lesions may expand outside of these typical areas to, say, the legs, for which we call it ectopic HS. The diagnosis of HS does not require wound cultures, which aren't recommended unless signs of infection are present, such as fevers or cellulitis. So, how do we stage HS? There are many different staging criteria for HS, such as Hurley, Sartoria staging, or the HS clinical response, or HISCOR, H-I-S-C-R, HISCOR staging, that is used in clinical trials. But, since Hurley stages 1 through 3 are used most commonly, we'll spend a hot minute on it, and I'll mention it only once, so listen up. 
Purley stage 1 HS refers to isolated papules, nodules, and abscesses in the intertriginous areas with minimal scarring. Hurley stage 2 has similar lesions but with a limited number of scarring lesions and sinuses that are not interconnected. Then lastly, Hurley stage 3 means that scarring sinuses have become diffuse and interconnected, in addition to having the previous papules and abscess-like lesions that I mentioned. Another clinical pearl to help you diagnose HS is to look for double comedones, which appear as comedones next to each other with a baby sinus tract in between them. Besides these double comedones, patients will often describe cycles of flares and remissions. When patients with HS have an acute flare, lesions often increase in number and become extremely tender to the point that patients have difficulty moving. They can also have drainage severe enough to soak through their clothing and cause a bad odor. These patients aren't dirty or have poor hygiene. This is just the nature of this horrible disease. Patients will ask you why they have hydratinitis superativa. So how do you answer that question? And, like many diseases in dermatology, it's not just skin deep. There can be many comorbidities to be on the lookout for. So what sorts of comorbidities and disorders can be associated with hydratinitis superativa? Like acne, there are multiple factors that play into hydradenitis superativa, which may be why we have yet to find one treatment that works especially well. You want to explain to patients that there is a role for genetics, an overactive immune system, hormones, and various triggers like obesity and smoking. You have to tell patients that their HS is not caused by infection or poor hygiene, and just explain that infection is not the primary driver of HS, but rather bacteria can get into wounds and lesions that are caused by HS and overgrow, which is sometimes why antibiotics can be helpful. And like Dr. G asked about, HS has a long list of comorbidities. So, like psoriasis patients, we need to remember these comorbidities in clinic with our HS patients. And here's your mnemonic for the day. Adios, papi, which refers to the comorbidities of HS, which include A for arthritis, D for diabetes, I for inflammatory bowel disease, O for obesity, S for smoking or squamous cell carcinoma, the first P in poppy for PCOS, another A for anxiety or depression along with the acne tetrad, another P for pyoderma gangrenosum, and the final I for insulin resistance or metabolic syndrome. Again, for comorbidities of HS, remember adios poppy, with A for arthritis, D for diabetes, I for inflammatory bowel disease, O for obesity, S for smoking or squamous cell carcinoma, the first P in poppy for PCOS, then A for anxiety or depression along with the acne tetrad, another P for pyoderma gangrenosum, and a final I for insulin resistance or metabolic syndrome. And just to give you some quick numbers on the strength of these associations, arthritis may affect up to 50% of HS patients, while diabetes is increased up to threefold and affects up to 30% of HS patients. For the IBD association, Crohn's risk is about two times higher for HS patients, while ulcerative colitis is around 1.5 times higher. As far as smoking and obesity go, around 75% of HS patients smoke and 75% are obese, with studies showing improvement and sometimes complete remission for patients who quit smoking or lose 15% or more of their body mass. 
And finally, remember that PCOS has over a threefold risk and affects almost 10% of HS patients. Here's a fact, every one of you. Wait a minute. Did I just see Vicky pull up in a Mercedes G-Class? She must have won the scratch-off while she was scavenging for more cigarettes. Good riddance that woman smokes so many cigarettes. Anyways, back to work. Hydrodenitis superativa patients may have multiple components of the follicular occlusion tetrad. What are they? HS is part of the follicular occlusion tetrad, which includes dissecting cellulitis of the scalp, acne congloblata, hydradenitis superativa, and pilonidal cysts. Again, the follicular occlusion tetrad includes 1. Dissecting cellulitis of the scalp, 2. Acne congloblata, 3. HS, and 4. Pilonidal cysts. It's not as if patients have all four of them every time, but many patients will unfortunately have two to three of these conditions in their lifetime. I also want to mention a small list of other possible triggers for HS that you may hear about, which includes dairy, brewer's yeast, friction, deodorant, shaving, and vitamin D deficiency. A small study of vitamin D deficient HS patients showed that when they were given vitamin D supplementation to normalize their levels, over 60% of patients had a 20% decrease in inflammatory nodules. And while we're on the topic, another supplement that can help for your HS patients is zinc, with small studies showing efficacy for 90 milligrams of zinc gluconate once daily. There's zinc gluconate and sulfate, so remember that gluconate is the good one to buy. The recently published North American Guidelines on HS states that you may recommend zinc supplements to your patients based on weak evidence. Otherwise, there is not enough evidence to recommend avoidance of these other factors, but I still think they're good to be aware of. So remember, other possible HS triggers include dairy, brewer's yeast, friction, deodorant, shaving, and vitamin D deficiency. Can you take a break from swiping right on blunder, blender, or whatever it's called and tell me how you might treat this disease? There is still a ton that we don't know about hydradenitis superativa pathogenesis, but we do know that there is a role for follicular occlusion, chronic inflammation, hormones, and secondary infection. Therefore, treatment of HS will target these four factors of follicular occlusion, chronic inflammation, hormones, and secondary infection. For HS treatments, I'm going to lump them into five categories in no particular order. Number one, counseling on trigger avoidance. Number two, washes or topicals such as topical antibiotics or topical lidocaine. Number three, systemic oral agents that come in four flavors. One, antibiotics. Two, retinoids like isotretinoin. Three, hormonal therapies like OCPs or spironolactone. And four, oral immunomodulators such as prednisone or cyclosporin. Then the fourth treatment category are the biologics, such as adalimumab or infliximab. And lastly, number five, surgical options such as de-roofing, excision, incision and drainage, and various lasers. Again, think of HS management in five categories. One, trigger avoidance. Two, washes or topicals. Three, oral agents like antibiotics, retinoids, hormonal treatments, or immunomodulators. Four, biologics, and five, surgical options. 
So let's dig through our HS toolkit and chat about each of these. Okay, you know me, I'm a less is more kind of guy. What are some of the triggers that can fuel the flames of this awful disease? I'm also a less is more guy when it comes to treatment. If we can find and remove triggers for our patients with HS or other conditions like atopic derm or psoriasis, we can get patients a lot better and use less medication to do so. For HS patients, the two huge triggers are smoking and obesity. Once you've established a good relationship with your HS patient, you'll want to set a realistic weight loss goal to strive towards. Studies have shown that a 15% weight loss can result in significant improvement or even complete remission in some patients. Since getting to a gym and mobility issues can make this challenging for HS patients due to pain and drainage, discussing the importance of diet or even referring to a nutritionist can make a life-changing difference for HS patients. Once you've discussed weight loss, smoking cessation is also crucial to mention. HS patients need to be followed by a PCP for all of the comorbidities we discussed, and they also should be counseled to aggressively pursue quitting smoking with their PCP's help. Besides obesity and smoking, other possible HS triggers include tight-fitting clothes, close shaving of affected areas, and brewer's yeast found in beer, breads, and other supplements. Millennials and their craft beer obsession. No wonder I'm seeing more hydratinitis superativa. Let's move on to treatment group number two, the washes and topical treatments. Since patients often become colonized with staph or a variety of anaerobes, using an antibacterial wash like benzoyl peroxide or chlorhexidine, aka Hibiclense, can make a big difference. Even zinc pyrithione shampoos marketed for dandruff can be quite helpful. When patients are flaring, topical antibiotic gels or solutions such as clindamycin 1% solution can be helpful, but it's only really helpful against pustules and not for the nodules and abscesses. And like we discussed in the acne episodes, remember that topical clindamycin can lead to staph resistance, so try to combine it with benzoyl peroxide products to reduce this risk of bacterial resistance. And although it isn't technically a topical treatment, keep in mind that intralesional triamcinolone injections of 10 mg per milliliter into inflamed lesions can help during acute flares, but the evidence is weak to support intralesional steroids. It's true, these things can be helpful, but used alone against severe hydradenitis superativa, you might as well dump a pail of water on a brush fire. What are some oral systemic treatments to consider? Next, we'll spend some time on the oral agents, starting with oral antibiotics. There is a lot of variety out there with different regimens used, but we'll discuss the more common ones. Doxycycline 100 mg twice daily is commonly used for mild or moderate disease. Another common antibiotic combination is clindamycin 300 mg BID with rifampin 300 mg BID, which showed response rates of 70-90% to 90 in some studies. Since rifampin affects the metabolism of many other medications, you'll want to do an interaction check before prescribing this and especially be on the lookout for oral contraceptives. You will also want to warn patients that rifampin will turn patients' tears and pee orange, so it's nice to give them a heads up on this. 
The next combination of antibiotics that is more of a second or third line treatment includes the combination of rifampin 300mg BID again along with moxifloxacin 400mg daily and oral metronidazole 500mg twice daily to three times daily. I should also mention that Dapsone 50 to 200 milligrams daily and a variety of other oral antibiotics have also been used, such as Bactrim. All of these antibiotic regimens are typically used for two to three month intervals and as needed afterwards. You should keep in mind that patients will often flare when they come off of them, and it's also never a bad idea to recommend some form of probiotic for your patients on long-term antibiotics. Lastly, I can't close out the antibiotics without mentioning erdipenem, which is an IV antibiotic dosed at 1 gram daily and has been very effective in 6-week courses. However, it's typically used as a rescue treatment or a bridge to surgery or other systemic treatments, since patients will relapse once they stop their erdipenem. So, we've discussed trigger avoidance, topicals, and our first oral agent with the antibiotics. Next, let's go over the retinoids that have been used for HS, including isotretinoin and acetretin. Since HS used to be considered inverse acne, the retinoids were used more often in the past than they are now, but they can still help. When you have an HS patient with bad acne, a great consideration is isotretinoin dosed at 0.5 to 1 mg per kilogram per day. Acetretin at doses around half a mg per kg per day can help around half of HS patients who take it, but acetretin shouldn't be used for women of childbearing age. So, what other oral systemic agents can you consider? The next medication I'll mention is spironolactone. It was originally used as a potassium-sparing diuretic for blood pressure. However, it has anti-androgen effects that can make a big difference when dosed around 100 to 150 milligrams daily. For more information on spironolactone, you can refer back to episode 19 on acne, specifically around the 8 minute and 45 second mark. Another hormonal treatment is metformin, dosed at 500 mg BID or TID, which was especially helpful in a trial for HS patients who also had PCOS. You will want to avoid metformin in patients with kidney or liver disease, and counsel on common side effects such as headaches, GI upset, or taste disturbances. When starting metformin, you also want to caution patients that alcohol use increases their risk of lactic acidosis, which is a rare side effect. So besides spironolactone and metformin, oral contraceptives with ethanyl estradiol can be helpful, but keep in mind that the progestin-only mini-pill OCPs can worsen HS similar to how they can worsen acne. And lastly, finasteride, 1.25 to 5 mg daily, has been used with some success in case reports. Vicky, can you anesthetize the lesions to be sampled in room 5? By the way... Nice Louis Vuitton bag you've got there. Thanks, Doc. It's nice. Plenty of room for my menthols. Oh, I bet it does. I'm sure that was the number one factor for you when selecting a purse. Anyways, where's my student? Okay, the last oral agent for Hydrodinitis superativa that you have yet to mention is... The last group of oral agents that I'll mention are the immunomodulators such as prednisone. 
Prednisone dosed at 0.5 to 1 milligram per kilogram per day and tapered over days to weeks can be incredibly helpful to bring HS patients relief during their flares. It has also been used with success at low doses around 10 milligrams long term for severely affected HS patients. But, as we all know, prednisone can come with many side effects like high blood pressure, high blood sugars, peptic ulcers, cataracts, glaucoma, osteoporosis, serious infections, the list goes on and on. Prednisone is an important tool for us to bring relief to patients, but it's best used for bad flares and a bridge to other treatments. Other immunomodulators that have some weak evidence to benefit HS that I'll simply mention are cyclosporin, colchicine in combination with minocycline, and apremolase, aka otesla. It's also worth mentioning that other immunosuppressants like methotrexate and azathioprine haven't had much luck against HS. So, we've discussed our first three categories for treatment. Number one, trigger avoidance. Number two, washes or topicals. Number three, the oral agents like antibiotics, retinoids, hormonal treatments, or immunomodulators. The last medical HS treatment that we're going to discuss are the biologics. Okay, so you've got a patient with severe hydradenitis superativa. It's time to connect to the fire hydrant and attempt to squash those flames. What are some of the biologic therapies with proven efficacy against hydradenitis superativa? Two of the biologics used most commonly for HS are the TNF-alpha inhibitors adalimumab, aka Humira, and infliximab, aka Remicade. They help in the majority of patients, but you have to keep in mind that the dosing is typically higher than that used for psoriasis patients. Of all the medications we've discussed as of this recording, adalimumab is the only FDA-approved treatment for HS and is dosed at 160 mg at the onset, 80 mg at week 2, then 40 mg weekly starting at week 4. This differs from Humira's psoriasis dosing, which is dosed 80 mg on day 1 and then 40 mg every 2 weeks starting at day 8. Remember, adalimumab maintenance is weekly for HS compared to every 2 weeks for psoriasis. Adalimumab was superior to placebo in the Pioneer 1 and 2 trials, so look those up if you want more information. The other TNF-alpha inhibitor for HS is infliximab, which is dosed between 5 to 10 mg per kg at weeks 0, 2, 6, and then every 4 to 8 weeks after that. I also want to mention that the IL-12 and 23 inhibitor, ustekinumab, aka Stellara, is used on occasion for HS with success, while the IL-1 inhibitor, Anakinra, can be helpful for patients who aren't responding to anything. We're learning that these doses of these biologics often need to be higher than doses used for other conditions, so this will be a landscape with hopefully lots of improvements and changes in the upcoming years. Tell me this now. Why would you be sending the HS patient to me, Dr. Chap, the surgeon? So when the topicals, oral agents, and biologics aren't cutting it, we turn to treatment category number five, surgical options, which includes incision and drainage, de-roofing, excision, and a variety of other options including CO2 laser excision, marsupialization, and cryotherapy. For the acutely inflamed lesion, incision and drainage can offer pain relief, but IND has a 100% recurrence rate and is thus only recommended for acute abscesses to relieve discomfort for your HS patients. 
De-roofing, on the other hand, has recurrence rates of 25% or less, which is much better but still not perfect. De-roofing refers to removing the roof or the overlying skin above an abscess or sinus tract. De-roofing is done by numbing and prepping the area to be treated and then probing into the draining sinus opening or through a small incision if you can't see a sinus opening. Once you probe to see how far the track goes, you surgically remove the overlying skin above the probe using an electrosurgical wire loop or a scalpel, leaving the floor of the tract intact to heal by secondary intention. Head over to the good old YouTube and search Hydradenitis Superativa de-roofing for some great videos on how this is done. So besides incision and drainage and de-roofing procedures, surgical excision has been done with success with a variety of approaches to healing, including secondary intention, primary closure, flaps, and grafts. There are also a variety of lasers that have successfully been used for HS, including NDEAG or ablation using the CO2 lasers. In the interest of time, I won't get into the nitty-gritty of these other surgical options, but I do want to mention that medical treatments can, and likely should be, continued at the time of these procedures, even if they impact the immune system. Surgical complications are more likely to occur when patients are acutely flared compared to when they have better disease control with the systemic treatments that we mentioned. Yes, don't send them to me with the pus-filled boils. Clean them up with your lotions and your potions first. Then I will cut them. Before we finish the episode, I also want to mention a few other crucial points. Number one being to always address pain control with your patients, whether that includes topical lidocaine or regular use of Tylenol or NSAIDs, or careful use of short courses of opioids along with our colleagues in pain management. Point number two is that there are other alternative treatments out there with some evidence for benefit, including the zinc and the vitamin D supplementation that I mentioned before. Recent studies show that many HS patients turn to complementary and alternative medicines, so ask them about it. Point number three is that all the treatments we discussed work better for patients with stage 1 or 2 disease. Once patients have progressed to stage 3 HS, all of these systemic treatments are not as effective, so prevention is key. Alright my friends, so since this is already a pretty lengthy episode, I'll keep the summary brief. Remember that HS is a chronic inflammatory skin disorder that typically starts in patients' 20s to 30s and is more likely to affect women and especially those of African ancestry. Hurley stage 1 HS refers to isolated papules, nodules, and abscesses of the intertriginous areas with minimal scarring. Stage 2 has similar lesions but with a limited number of scarring lesions and sinuses that are not interconnected. Then lastly, Hurley stage 3 means that scarring sinuses have become diffuse and interconnected in the affected areas. Our toolkit of HS treatments included number 1, counseling on trigger avoidance such as smoking or obesity, 2. Washes such as chlorhexidine or topical treatments such as antibiotics or lidocaine. Number 3. Systemic oral agents such as antibiotics like doxycycline, retinoids such as isotretinoin, hormonal therapies such as spironolactone or oral contraceptives, and lastly immunomodulators like prednisone. And then number 4. We had biologics such as adalimumab or infliximab. And lastly, number 5. Surgical options such as de-roofing, excision, incision and drainage, and various lasers. Okay, that's a wrap on that day. Vicky, thank you for your help, and enjoy the ride home in the G-Wagon. Will do, Doc. Let me know if you ever need a ride. You never know. You may not have that Bentley forever. 
So thank you again for listening to today's episode on HS. I highly encourage you all to spend a couple of minutes Googling some images of HS so you can recognize it when these patients come to you for help. I pray that over time we're seeing fewer and fewer of these stage 3 HS patients thanks to increased awareness and early intervention by providers across all specialties. So, if you are a healthcare provider listening right now, I urge you to share this episode with some of your colleagues outside of Durham especially, whether they're in emergency medicine, family medicine, OB-GYN, etc. Because their most important job is to simply recognize HS when they see it and refer them to us as soon as possible. Remember, you or your friends may be the last provider that an HS patient reaches out to, so don't be the one to miss it and don't blow them off. And that's my soapbox for today. I want to thank you all again for listening. I'm Logan Kolb. Please join us next time when we talk with one of the HS experts, Dr. Jocelyn Kirby, here in the Gren Zone. All right, thanks for joining today. I want to thank Dr. Sean for his help with the content and Dr. K for not only adding clinical pearls but supporting this podcast from the get-go. I also want to thank Garrett and Dan for their work with editing and post-production along with our excellent team of students and residents with Dave, Dan, and Sandra who put together an awesome study guide for each episode that's available at www.grenzonederm.com and that's with two Zs, grenzonederm.com. If you have any feedback on how we can improve our content, you can contact us through our website or via email at grenzonederm at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media for more helpful mnemonics and quiz questions. Thanks again for listening today. I'm Logan Kolb, and we'll see you next time here in the Gren Zone. This episode is copyright 2021 Pro Podcasting LLC, all rights reserved. The Grenzone Podcast is a service provided by Pro Podcasting LLC and is not affiliated with any other service providers.